0: Hey friends, it's Fred Greenhalgh, producer here at Realm. A new episode of Ominous Thrill is ready for your ears. It's Advice After Dark. Late night radio host Bella Donna delivers extreme advice to the delighted horror of her audience until a creepy listener forces her to confront the brutal consequences of her show. Here's a preview. Welcome to my live stream, Bella. Say hello to everyone. What do you want? Click the link. Watch along. I'm not clicking links from psychos. You put that trash on the radio every night and I'm the psycho. You sound like you need help. I'm not one of your fake callers. My show is very, very real. Do you want to know what it's called? No, I don't. It's called Belladonna Gets What's Coming. Starring you. What? It's really starring me. But it's all about you. And you'd be surprised how many people want to watch you get what's coming. I called the police. They'll be here any minute. Yeah, well, we should be done before they get here. Find Ominous Thrill out now everywhere you listen. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print ebook and unabridged ad-free audiobook for links to purchase any version visit scottsigler.com slash nocturnal
1: chapter 40 brian fights sly rex pierre brian stepped out of the elevator onto the mental health wing's empty third floor at two fifteen a.m the hallway was empty he pressed the two-way button on his phone Pooks, you there? No answering tone came. What if Marie's children had come while he was at the car? Brian walked quickly down the hall. His hands drifted to the small of his back. If they hurt Pookie, I swear I'll gut them alive. Brian turned the corner and froze. Twenty feet away, in front of Erickson's door, Pookie Chang lay face down, hands cuffed behind his back. Standing over him with AR-15s in hand were Jeremy Ellis and Matt Hickman in full SWAT gear. Jeremy raised the barrel of his assault rifle until it pointed halfway between him and Brian. Stay right there, Clouser, he said. Put your hands where I can see them. Brian's hands were behind his back, just a quick grab away from his guns. Pooks, you okay? Pookie looked up. I'm fine. Seems Chief Zhao really wanted us at that crime scene. Hickman gave Pookie a light kick in the shoulder. Shut up, Chang. Brian's anger swelled. You kick him again and I'll rip that foot off your body. Jeremy took a step to his right, moving to the other side of the hall to create distance between himself and Hickman. Hands closer! Jeremy raised his barrel farther. Now it pointed at Brian's feet. Could Brian draw faster than Jeremy could flick the AR-15 up and shoot? No. No way. Brian moved his hands out to his sides. That's good, Jeremy said. I hate to do this, but I'm under orders from the chief to arrest you on sight. What had happened? These guys weren't even supposed to be here. Arrest me for what? She didn't call me to get my opinion, Jeremy said. She said if you guys came back to take you into custody, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Brian evaluated his position. Looking down the hall, Jeremy stood on the left side, Hickman on the right. Pookie was on the floor on the right, just in front of the door to Erickson's room. Hickman took two slow steps forward, increasing the space between himself and his partner. Brian knew the maneuver. That was basic positioning, but it seemed so surreal. He did that to other people. People didn't do that to him. Clouser, come on, Jeremy said. Make this easy and get on the ground. You know the drill. Brian couldn't let this happen. He had to get Pookie off the ground, get Hickman and Jeremy ready to fight whatever was coming. Jeremy, listen to me. Zows turned bad. Just give me a chance to explain. Jeremy raised his weapon the rest of the way. The barrel pointed at Brian's chest. Get on the ground, Clouser, now! I can't. Now Hickman took a half-step forward. Weapon also aimed at Brian's chest. Put your hands behind your head and get on your knees! This was how the game worked. Start out calm, polite, then raise your cop voice volume until the perp gets the picture. These fuckers wanted to threaten him? Threaten Pookie? Brian could rush them. Draw and hurt them. Kill them. He He shook his head. He couldn't lose his temper. Not now. Guys, stop yelling. Weep. That scent. The one he'd smelled on the baby's clothes, but weaker. He knew this smell exactly. It was the scent from Rex's bedroom. ba bum bum Brian stepped back that warmth in his chest. Oh, shit, not now. Four figures stepped into the hall behind Hickman and Ellis, four figures draped in blankets. In that split second, Brian saw their faces and knew that his dreams, the monsters in the basement, Rex's drawings, that all of it was real. The snake man, Sly. The dog face, Pierre. A little guy with a giant hooked nose, the one Pookie saw on the roof all striding forward along with a tiny rex behind you brian started toward erickson's door but hadn't made it half a step before two bellowing cop voices roared at him get the fuck down jeremy screamed at exactly the same time hickman shouted do not fucking move four blankets flared open four gun barrels rose brian reached for his weapons and ran for erickson's door knowing full well in that horrid, frozen moment of time that he couldn't do anything to save Ellis and Hickman. The crack of a high-caliber weapon, the roar of a shotgun. Jeremy's head rocked forward, his helmet went flying, chin strap flapping as it spun. Hickman was moving his AR-15 to match Brian's run when a round caught him in the jaw, shredding flesh, splintering bone and teeth. He fell away to Brian's right, Brian felt the Five-Seven grips in his hands. He drew and fired without aiming as he lowered his shoulder and launched himself over Pookie. Brian smashed through the door and landed on his right shoulder, big splinters of wood dropping around him. But a bum-bum. More warmth in his chest, this time from Ericsson. Brian caught a flash glance of Ericsson, an old man in a hospital bed, tubes in his arm and under his nose. Brian rolled to his ass. He planted his feet and pushed, sliding on his left shoulder back out the door. Bullets ripped into the doorframe above him as he slid between Pookie and the monsters, his fingers flash-flicking the 5-7 triggers and sending ten rounds down the hallway. The monsters ducked and turned. He saw Rex fall backward, spinning to the right. Saw Sly stumble backward. Pierre was a blur, scooping Rex up and smashing through another door farther down the hall. Brian popped up on his feet and fired twice more. He felt a round hit him in the left shoulder as he put his right foot on Pookie, turned his partner so that his head pointed into Erickson's room, then shoved. On his belly, with his hands cuffed behind his back, Pookie slid through the door. Brian dove in behind him as more rounds ripped into the ravaged door frame. He pulled each trigger twelve times, leaving eight rounds in each pistol. Pookie rolled to his back and sat up. Brian, get me out of these! They were outnumbered four to one by motherfucking monsters with guns. Brian wouldn't be able to get Erickson and Pookie out through the hall. He'd have to go out the window. He stood, aimed at the glass and flicked each trigger two times. Four rounds flew out in less than a second. Big spiderweb cracks radiated out from four small holes, but the windows didn't break. Security glass. And not just that. There were bars on the other side. He'd forgotten he was in a psych ward. Brybry, get me out of these! Brian slid his left hand 5-7 through the slot in his back, clicking it into the holster. He reached for his pocket before he remembered he'd left his handcuff key with Jessup. A blur ripped through the door. Brian raised his right hand to fire, but the thing ducked under the barrel. It hit him hard in the chest wrapping him up and driving him to his back, where they both slid across the floor. Brian's head smashed into the wall below the window. He felt the attacker slide up to straddle him. Brian tried to bring his right hand up to shoot, but the attacker grabbed the gun with both hands, ripping it away with shocking strength. The attacker drove its head forward. Brian twisted his head to the right. A jagged pain ripped through his left cheek firebrand hot as it tore across his lower left gum line. The thing pulled back, trailing an arc of blood. Brian saw the weapon, a sharp, blood-covered, hard needle beak where a nose should have been. In a hundredth of a second, Brian recalled Susan Panos's chest, the gaping hole, the lack of blood. This thing was Susie's killer. The monster reared back to drive forward again, But before it could, Pookie slammed into it, knocking it off Brian. Pookie and the thing crashed into the foot of Erickson's hospital bed. Brian lurched up, his right hand sliding into his left sleeve to grip the handle inside. The beak nose stood and turned just as Brian stepped forward. Brian drove the ceramic knife into the thing's chest with all his newfound strength, punching through the breastbone and into the heart beyond. The eyes above the bloody, curved beak went wide with surprise. Brian kicked low with his right instep, knocking the monster off his feet, while simultaneously pushing down hard on the knife handle, driving the monster to his back. Pookie, hold us in! Hands still cuffed behind his back, Brian's partner threw himself face down across the stunned monster. Pookie's belly pinned the knife in place. Brian grabbed his 5.7 off the floor just as Sly's big body came through the doorway. They fired at the same instant, the cracks of gunfire filling the small room. Brian felt a round hammer into his right hip bone, twisting him back and making him miss twice, but he instantly corrected and put two shots center mass in Sly's chest. Brian's 5.7 slide had locked on empty. He was out. He reached back for his left-hand gun. Before he even gripped the handle, Sly spun away from the door and back into the hall. Brian ejected the spent magazine from his right-hand weapon, slid his hand into a chest slot to grab a fresh one, and slammed it home. Monster! Brian turned. Jebediah Erickson was awake. He looked half-drunk and as psycho-angry as an old man could be. Erickson reached to his left with both hands and grabbed a rolling table next to his bed. He hurled it backhanded. Brian ducked the table, which smashed into the wall. Now he had to fight Savior as well. Knock it off, old man! Monster! I'll kill you! Brian, a little help here! Hands still cuffed behind him. Pookie was trying to stay on top of the squirming beak face. The monster fought but it didn't have much strength left. Brian walked over and stepped on its neck, pressing down hard. The creature tried to breathe. Its hands pulled weakly at Pookie's jacket. The clutching hands slowed, then fell away. Something big smashed into Brian's head. He stumbled back. Erickson was throwing anything he could get his hands on. Brian's temper snapped. He slid the 5-7 into its holster as he stepped to the side of the hospital bed. Erickson groggily reached for Brian's throat. Brian hit him in the mouth with a short right. Erickson sagged back. Sorry, Brian said. I hope you're as tough as they say, old-timer. Brian bent at the knees. He reached below the bed, grabbed the heavy machinery underneath, then lifted. His arms and legs shook with the weight. He didn't know how strong he really was, but this wasn't the time to doubt it. He took three stumbling, running steps to the window, then through. The foot of the bed smashed into the bullet-ridden safety glass. The wire-embedded glass folded out like a stiff blanket. The bed, with Erickson still in it, sailed out into the night sky. Brian turned to grab Pookie. But before he came all the way around, he had a glimpse of a massive, moving pile of brown fur. And then a tank smashed into him. He flew backward out the window. Chapter 41. Finish him! Blanket still draped over his shoulders, Rex DePravdachuk clutched his bleeding arm as he walked to the edge of the broken window. He'd been shot again, but way worse this time. He couldn't move his right arm at all, and there was an awful lot of blood. Down below, Savior's hospital bed was a ghastly gray-white against the nighttime grass. The other man, the one in black who had killed Sucka, was face down, not moving, still lying where he'd fallen after Pierre had knocked him out of the window. I got him, Pierre said. I kicked his ass. Rex turned back into the room. Sly was hurt bad, but he had one arm wrapped tight around the neck of a handcuffed man covered in sucker's blood. The man looked like he might crap himself. Rex couldn't blame him. Rex used his good hand to pull papers out of a blanket pocket. He set them on the ground and unfolded them, his hand smearing the photo printouts with blood. The third sheet matched this man's face. Pookie Chang, Rex said. Sly, that's one of them. The man struggled, but Sly held him fast. I'm a cop, goddammit, the man said. Let me go. Sly squeezed, his bicep pressing into one side of the man's neck, his forearm into the other. Chang's eyes widened, then wrinkled shut. His legs kicked, but he couldn't escape. His kick slowed, then he went limp. One-handed. Sly tossed the man over his shoulder. My king, we have to go, Sly said. I have to get you to safety. Sly had also been shot. His blue San Jose shark sweatshirt was soaked at his right shoulder and also at two spots on his chest. He moved much slower than normal. Rex pointed back to the window. Savior is down there. I want him. Let Pierre take him, Sly said. Zao said the police with the machine guns would be gone, but they weren't. There could be more of them. I have to get you out of here. Sly looked to his taller brother. Pierre, can you finish the job? Pierre nodded rapidly. Doth a bear sit in the woods? I'll kick his ass. Sly adjusted his blanket so it covered both him and the policeman on his shoulder. He walked to the room's ravaged door, turned and waited. My king, we have to go, now. Rex had to trust his best friend. He pulled his own blanket over his head, his arms screaming with protest as he did. He grabbed his wound with his left hand to try and squeeze the pain away. Pierre leaned out the broken window. Hey, that guy I clobbered, I think he's moving. And he's one of us. I felt it. Rix looked down again. The man in the black coat was struggling to rise to his knees. Chief Zhao had said Brian Clouser was like Savior, that he was actually one of Marie's children. If so, he was a traitor. Pierre. Make me proud, Rex said. Get down there and finish him. Then bring Savior back home. Pierre smiled his happy dog's smile. His long tongue fell from his mouth and dangled on the right side of his skewed jaw. Yes, my king. Rex followed Sly out of the room.
0: island in frigid lake superior a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it ancestor by number one new york times best-selling author scott sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong available wherever you get your
1: podcasts get up get up get up Brian pushed himself to his knees. He was on grass, a little clearing in a wooded area. He heard sporadic traffic on the other side of a head-high brick wall not too far away. His left arm wouldn't respond. Every motion he made ripped a stabbing sensation through the top of his chest. Broken collarbone. Had to be. What had happened? Pierre had happened. Brian ignored the pain as he struggled to his feet. He looked up at the mental health building. He remembered the gunfight, remembered how hard the brown-furred creature had hit him. Motion from above. From out the broken third-story window, Pierre sailed into the night air, a long blanket trailing behind him, a stockless shotgun with a drum magazine held in one huge hand. Brian looked to where Pierre would fall. Fifteen feet away lay the bent and twisted hospital bed, and a few feet from that, an unconscious Jebediah Erickson, barely covered by a rumpled blue hospital gown. Pierre landed with far more grace than Brian had. The dog-faced man stepped toward Saviour. Gunfire opened up on Brian's left and his right. On his left, the cane gun, fired by the wobbly old Alder Jessup. On his right, Adam, ripping off short bursts from an Uzi. Pierre covered his face with an arm and turned away. Bullets tore through his blanket, shredding the fabric and spraying blood onto the grass. Brian! Alder screamed. Get the creature! We'll rescue Savior! Go! Brian quick glanced for his gun, but the flat black weapon was nowhere to be seen on the dark grass. He didn't think. He just ran, sprinting straight for the ducking Pierre. The Uzi fire stopped. Adam's weapon was empty. Pierre turned and reached for Ericsson. Before the big hands could grab the old man, Brian closed in at full speed, his new full speed, and put his right shoulder into Pierre's ribs. The creature sailed backward and smashed against a tree. Brian had hit with his right shoulder, but his left suffered greatly from the impact. Something ground away inside his arm, his chest, and his shoulder, liquid fire coursing all up and down his side and neck. Pierre rolled to his knees. He smiled a dog's smile, his pink tongue dangling down off the left side of his skewed lower jaw. He raised his shotgun. Brian turned away as the ba 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 roar of the automatic weapon tore at the night air. Hammer blasts hit his right shoulder, his back, driving him to the ground. Then the stuttering crack of the Uzi sounded once again. Brian fought through the pain and pushed himself to his knees. When he turned toward the threat, he saw the swirl of a dark blanket, a bit of blue hospital gown, and the pink of an old man's naked ass disappearing over the head-high brick wall that bordered Portrero Avenue. Pierre, with an unconscious Ericsson over his shoulder. Just like that, they were gone from sight. Brian heard sirens approaching. How far away was the rest of the SWAT team? Would they have the same orders as Ellis? Would they try to arrest Brian? or would shoot to kill Bezow's new order. A hand on his good shoulder, grabbing, pulling. Cop, get up! Adam said. He got Erickson! Brian leaned on Adam as he struggled to his feet. I gotta go after him. No! Alder's voice. The old man limped over, reloading his cane by taking a bullet from his pocket, putting it into a hidden slot, then twisting the silver wolf's head handle with a click. Brian, you have to heal. There could be more of them, but they'll kill him. Alder shook his head. He's already dead. His eyes showed he was resigned to an inescapable truth. Jebediah is gone. The only variable is whether we have one dead savior or two. Brian started to argue but the railroad spike pain driving through his neck and into his lung cut off his words. He couldn't even give chase, let alone fight. Okay. Shit! Brian let Adam help him toward the wall. Where's Pookie? Adam stopped. Alder pointed his cane up to the broken third-floor window. Your partner? Was he with you up there? Brian looked up. Some of the safety glass hung loosely like a thick, stiff piece of cracked crystal cloth. He didn't come down. Alder shook his head. Not yet. Brian, move. We have to get out of here. Brian stared, waiting to see Pookie's face pop into view, waiting to hear him shout down some kind of obscenity. Pookie's face didn't show. He had to be in the stairwell, on his way out. Or maybe he was already at the car. Adam, in my pants pocket, my phone. For once, Adam didn't make a smart-ass answer. He pulled the phone out of Brian's pocket. Brian took it. With his right hand, he pressed the two-way button. Pookie, you there? There was a pause, then an answer. Hello? A boy's voice. Brian's body vibrated with instant, overwhelming emotions of rage and fear and hate and loss. He had to do something, but he knew there was nothing he could do. Is this Rex? Uh Uh-huh. Brian closed his eyes. He felt like he was there and not there all at the same time. Is my partner alive? Sure, the boy said. Don't you also want to know if Savior is alive? I don't give a shit about Savior, Brian said, not the least bit surprised by his automatic honesty. If it came down to a brother by blood or a brother by actions, there was no question. Keep Savior. Just let Pookie go. No, Rex said. Mr. Chang has to pay for his crimes. Brian knew that smell on Rex was supposed to make him want to follow the boy, help the boy. He knew that at a base level, but all the scent in the world couldn't change his urge to find Rex, to wrap his hands around the boy's little neck, to squeeze the life out of him and make him beg. Let Pookie go, Brian said. If you don't, I'm going to find you, Rex. I'm going to kill you. But before you die, I'll make you hurt. You won't find me, Rex said. But we'll find you soon enough. You're a murderer, Mr. Klauser. You killed Sucker. We'll put you on trial just like the others. Goodbye. Rex hung up. Brian closed his eyes. His best friend was gone. Pookie had stood by him through everything. Pookie and Robin. Robin. His eyes snapped open. Adam, get me to Shotwell and 21st right now. As the three men shuffled toward the magnum, Brian texted the one person he hoped he could still trust. He needed backup, and he wasn't about to be picky. They hobbled to the Jessup station wagon and climbed in just as the first police cruiser pulled into the hospital parking lot. Brian and Alder got in the back of the magnum. Adam hopped into the driver's seat. Brian saw that Alder had handcuffed Aggie to the inside door handle of the front passenger seat. The bum looked at Brian, his expression fearful and sullen. Jesus, man, Aggie said. Who fucked up your face? Brian ignored him, waiting to see if he'd have to fight his way out of there. Adam drove out of the parking lot and onto Portrero just as a second and third cruiser pulled in. At least Brian wouldn't have to hurt any cops to go after Robin and hurt them he would, kill them if he had to, because nothing was going to stop him from getting to Robin Hudson. Brian reached up and grabbed Aggie's shoulder. Aggie winced. Brian relaxed his grip. He had to remember his new strength. They took my partner, Brian said. Do you know where they might take him? Aggie nodded. Probably the same place they took me. What will they do with him? Aggie shrugged. Depends on how hungry they are, I guess. Brian had to get to Pookie. He had to get to Robin. An impossible decision. But if he could get Robin out of harm's way, then he could focus all of his energy on saving his partner. Start talking, Mr. James. Brian said to Aggie. You've got ten minutes. Tell me what happened to you down there. Chapter 42 Voyeur. Big Max held a glass of wine in his left hand. His right was against his ear, cupped to the wall that separated their apartments. Max, quit it, Robin said. You're making me nervous. He leaned toward her in that way people do when they whisper. There could be someone out to get you. But me listening to see if anyone is in your apartment is making you nervous. Yes, It's making me think about it, and I don't want to think about it. I just want to sit here and have all of us be quiet. Sitting there on the couch was about all Robin could do at the moment. Emma was on one side of her, weighing her down from the left, while Billy's big head and shoulders weighed her down from the right. She couldn't even reach out to the coffee table to set down her wine glass. At some point in the evening, she had become furniture for a combined 155 pounds of cuddly canine. Max walked away from the wall and waved a hand in casual dismissal. All right, honey, I'll leave it alone. Not that it matters. I can hear just about everything that goes on over there. (laughs) I sure did last night. Robin felt her face flush red. You heard? Max smiled and nodded. I did. All four times. Robin covered her face with her free hand. Oh, my God. Yeah, I heard that, too, Max said. I need a boyfriend like Brian. Okay, Max, you've now embarrassed the hell out of me. He laughed and sat next to her. He scooped Billy up and dragged the limp pit bull onto his lap. Billy's tail gave two thumps. Then the dog went back to sleep. Well, I'm glad you guys took care of business, Max said. Was this just X-Sax? sex? is that? Max sighed. Ah, oh, and they call you smart. Ex-sex is sex with your ex. Oh. Actually, I don't think we're exes anymore. Max held up his wine glass. Well then, here's to true love. Robin flushed red all over again. She clinked her glass against his. And here's to friends. I'd be going crazy if I didn't have a big, strong man to protect me right now. Max laughed quietly. (laughs) Yeah, right. You're the one who's packing heat. She shrugged. Still, I'm pretty freaked out. Thank you for letting us stay here. He flipped his hand dismissively again. Honey, please, you... A metallic clang from outside the building cut off his words. Emma and Billy lifted their heads. The arms of both owners slid around their dogs' necks, holding them tight, sending them a clear signal to be still and be quiet. Max, Robin whispered. What was that? Max nodded toward his curtain-covered window. Firescape. Robin thought of Pookie's claims about people jumping across streets and scrambling up buildings. Another clang, then nothing. Robin, are you sure we shouldn't call 911? She shook her head. No, we can't. We don't know if it's safe. And then Robin Hudson realized just how thin the walls really were, because she heard heavy footsteps coming from inside her apartment.
0: You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it.